to be together. Amen? You know, I was thinking about that while I was gone, how much we missed being with you guys and what a joy it was to have a chance to step away. And some in the early service said, Darren, you might not want to stay gone too long. And those guys who filled in for you did pretty well. They might run you out. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. But praise the Lord, we're together today and we are blessed to be so. Thank you for your patience while we figure out this water thing. We promise to keep you updated, keep your social media and your email handy. We'll keep you posted as to what happens over the course of the next several days while we try to figure this out. But today, today we have a very special guest that we're going to invite to come and speak a word to us. Our friend Dr. Eli Haddad, one of the administrators from Arab Baptist Theological Seminary in Beirut, Lebanon, is in town today. I've invited him to come and share a word about what the work is that he's doing and about how God is using our mission partnership there. They are one of our key partners for the Middle East. God has used them in so many ways, not just in theological training, but in economic and social development across that region. God is using them, friends, and it's a joy to welcome my friend Ely to the stage. Ely, come and share with us, won't you? Glad to have you, my friend. Thank you, Pastor Darian. Good morning. And uh, I bring you greetings this morning from your brothers and sisters uh, from Lebanon uh, at a Baptist Theological Seminary. Lebanon is not doing very well. Uh, we're facing so many crises. Uh, more recently, in the last 10, 12 years, uh, the war in Syria has uh, had sent so many refugees into Lebanon, 1.5 million Syrian refugees into Lebanon. Remember, Lebanon is a tiny country of 4 million population. So that added a lot of strain to our already broken infrastructure in Lebanon. And then we had an uprising in Lebanon in 2019, uh, political turmoil, uh, hyperinflation, economic meltdown, and then the pandemic hit, and then the Beirut explosion. Uh, next week, uh, we will remember explosion two years ago. Um, so crisis after crisis after crisis. Uh, but you know what? In the middle of these crises, we're experiencing something magnificent. We're experiencing the power of God at work in the middle of these circumstances. And every crisis uh, brings new opportunities to proclaim the gospel in new ways. Uh, every crisis uh, causes more despair. We have a message of hope that we can share with the world around us. And this is, this is the case for the whole Arab world. There's a lot of persecution, hardship, and sometimes extremism and violence. And every time there is something bad that's happening, there's intrusion by God's power and things are happening. And new people are coming to, to God from uh, people groups that we never thought uh, possible, at least in our lifetime. Uh, Lebanon, in the middle of this mess, still continues to be a very strategic gateway for ministry into the Arab world. Uh, Lebanon is... Uh, one of the few countries in the Arab world where we have religious freedom. We can do things that cannot happen elsewhere in, in the Arab world. Uh, this includes uh, bringing in leaders from the church across the Middle East, North Africa, training them, wh whatever their background is, and sending them back to, uh, to plant churches and pastor churches. So it's been exciting to, to be part of what God is doing. And it's exciting to, to know that we are a part of something much bigger than us. And that, that gives us a lot of hope. I want to thank you this morning because your church has been partnering with us for a long time. Um, it's been partnering with our family of ministries and with the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary as well. Um, you've been uh, 
partnering with us in church planters and our graduates as they go back home and they plant churches. Um, you've partnered in work that's happening in Lebanon, in Syria, in Kurdish ministries across the region, in Iraq, in uh, Morocco, in Algeria, in Sudan, in South Sudan, in Egypt. This church here is being part of what God is doing in the Middle East and North Africa. So we praise God for you and for this partnership, and we'd love for you to come and visit and to see firsthand what God is doing through this partnership. Thank you so much. You know, the Spirit of God is at work in what they're doing, and that's one of the reasons that we're so thrilled to partner with them. And friends, I want you to pray for the work going on in Lebanon. They are faced with situations that we can only dream of. Praise the Lord that we get to share in the work they're doing. This is the essence of one hand holding another in the kingdom of Christ. Eli, we thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing that kind word. Now let's move to Revelation. Some of you have missed it. I know you have. And you know what? Here's good news. Revelation 12 is where we are today. Over the course of the next six weeks, we're going to cover some of these big ticket items that some of you have been asking me. When are we going to get to fill in the blank? The good news is over the next several weeks, we're going to tackle some of these. And we start today with the woman, the child, and the dragon. You know, when we talk about these three, each of them are cosmically significant in very different ways. Not only are they cosmically significant, but they're supernatural. They are, in an apocalyptic sense, broader than any context that they might share individually. The woman, the child, and the dragon is what my friend Keith read for you just a moment ago. Revelation 12, 1 to 6. We're introduced to them here, but the reality is we've already met all three of them. And all three of them have with them the context that says this, this is the beginning of the end. Let's start here with the sign and the first wonder. What is a sign? See it there in verse 12, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. What is a sign? This is a word that we find somewhat regularly in uh, the Gospel of John, in the writings of John, like Revelation, and in the letters of John. He uses this word sign repeatedly. Now, if you're like me, you know what a sign looks like, especially one that says, road construction ahead. Is it just me, or is that like our city motto? Road construction ahead. We find them all over town, and we know what that means, don't we? We understand when we see that sign, it means that there's something ahead of us where they're working on things. It means delays. It means inconvenience. It means heavy equipment. I want to tell you today, friends, we know how to interpret that sign, but this sign is different. What is a sign when John uses it? Here's what I mean. It is a clear marker of Christ's identity. A clear marker. When we see this sign, we understand something about who Jesus is. When we see this term in the Gospels, it's an indicator to look for who it is that Jesus is revealing himself to be 
in that moment. This is no different. And that brings us to the first wonder. The first wonder is the woman, Israel. Some of your study Bibles have over the top of chapter 12, verse 1, the woman, Israel. The first wonder is the woman, Israel. Now, she's not identified. There's no name given to her. We don't see John saying how to understand this sign or this symbol. And yet he tells us some things about her that helps us understand who it is that she's supposed to represent. She is, by the way we understand it, the antecedent to the faithful church, the one that Jesus calls his bride and the one that he will come back to take for himself. She is contrasted with the prostitute, Babylon. We'll get to her in a couple of chapters. Let's talk, though, about how John describes her. He gives her three descriptors. We'll take them in two groups. One, she is clothed in the sun and with the moon at her feet. She's resplendent in her glory and serves as a connective tissue between the created order and God's people. She is clothed in the sun. It's not as if she's wearing the sun like a jacket, but rather she has with her the markers that reflect a history, a deep and long-standing connection with the creator. The moon at her feet, she has dominion in some respect over the moon. We see this phrase somewhat often, and we see it throughout the throughout the Old Testament, most notably in Isaiah 54 and in 66. When we see this, it helps us understand the Apostle John is telling us this woman, unidentified though she may be, is indeed the nation of Israel. The third descriptor is the one that really slams the case shut. She wears a crown 12 stars, 12 stars, each star representing the tribes of Israel, the foundation stones for God's covenant with humanity. When we see this, we understand conclusively this woman, the first wonder, is the woman Israel. And it is through her that the Messiah the child will arrive. Without her, God would have to do things differently. Instead of doing things differently, God uses Israel to accomplish his purposes. So when you read verse 1, I want you to do so with the confidence that God, in his wisdom and in his sovereignty and in his strength, he put the nation of Israel together to form not only a covenant with the people of Israel, but with us too. Herein are the cornerstones. Here's a couple of things I want you to take home. One, if you're waiting for a sign from God, here it is. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, hey, Darren, I'm asking God to give me a sign. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking God for a sign. 
But when God has already given it to you, then don't ignore the sign and say, I want another one. God has made this very clear. What is it that he's made clear? He's made clear that his plan shall be accomplished. If you're waiting for a sign from God, this is it. It's already here. Secondly, God's plans are eternal in nature. So expect them to take time on our calendar. Don't be surprised when it takes longer than you want it to. A lot of people want to rush God. Or more popularly, they want to build a box of understanding. And they want to say, hey God, I'm constructing this box right here. I'm constructing this box and I want you to fit inside it. That's my understanding. You limit yourself to me and we'll get along much better. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, I wish that were true. I wish it was true for me. Reality is, to do that means that I'm equal with God, and I know that's not true. You do too. Perhaps the wiser thing to do is let God's plans that are eternal in nature supersede my own. Let me step back from my own plans in order that God's plans, which were set in in eternity from the very foundations of the earth, to have their rightful place. Now we move to the second wonder. The second wonder is the red dragon. See in verse 3, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems, seven crowns. His tail swept down a third of the stars and cast them to the earth. In verse 2, we see the woman, the first wonder. And we see in her the beauty and the pain of pregnancy. The Old Testament consistently talks about how righteous Israel will give birth to future covenant with God. This is an essence of a, a, the, the, the mother of ancient Israel being the mother of a restored future remnant of Israel. Can I tell you today, friends, this is the essence of some of the imagery in the Old Testament. Likewise, we understand the beauty and the pain of pregnancy. It's proverbial. We know that to bring new life into this world, it costs something. It's painful. She was crying out in birth pains, but not merely because of that. She knew who was standing over her. And who is that? The red dragon is Satan himself. I want you to mark this down. The red dragon is Satan himself. Now, when I think about dragons, I think about a picture kind of like this one. Take a look at this one as it comes up on the screen. You might say, Darren, that's the kind of stuff bad dreams are made of, isn't it though? When my media guys found this, I said, "Uh, yeah, that's the one. Because when we see this, we understand this is not our friend. We understand this fire-breathing varmint who wants nothing more than our destruction is not someone that we can ally ourselves with. The red dragon is Satan himself. Why make such a deal out of this? Because, friends, there's this idea that Satan is somehow misunderstood. He's really not that bad. 
his ways and the things that he wants for me are not that awful. I should just get along with it and go along because after all, Satan's not such a bad guy. I want to tell you, friends, when we take this passage in chapter 12, verse 9 together, we understand what Jesus meant in John 10. There Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He did not come to be misunderstood. He wants nothing more than your destruction. Satan was banished from heaven because of his pride, his arrogance. See it in Isaiah 14 and in Luke 9. When we see these images, we understand that Satan, he is cast out because he is opposed to the things of God. Can I tell you, my friends, we do ourselves no favors by not recognizing the true character, the true nature of who Satan is. Too many times we wink at that and we say, it's not so bad, it's not such a big deal. It is a big deal, friends. Don't play games with him. He will destroy you and mock you while you fall. Friends, do not allow yourself to be deceived. Satan wants nothing more than your destruction. And we see that in the dragon's head, horns, crown, and again in his tail. The heads represent mountains. The, the horns represent kings. The crowns represent earthly kingdoms awaiting destruction. Their rule and their reign might be terrifying at the moment, but don't be impressed, for their expiration date is already marked. Expiration dates. When you see one stamped on a gallon of milk, and you realize that that date has come and gone, then you understand you are venturing out onto a narrow ledge when you drink from it, don't you? And the further you get from that expiration date, the more likely it is that you're going to be disappointed by what happens if you decide to take that milk on. In my house, when the expiration date arrives, I don't fool with it. It's gone. Unless it's Swiss cake rolls. Let's be clear about that. Those will last forever. But what I want you to recognize is that Satan and all of those with him, they have an expiration date. We may not be able to see it yet, but that doesn't mean it's absent. The dragon's tail sweeps a third of the stars from the sky and casts them to the earth. While this may be a collapse of the cosmic and astrological systems, it may be something else as well. Taking the whole concert of scripture together, we remember that one third of the angels fell with Satan. They went with him on this grand adventure away from God. Is this then a symbolic picture of Satan and his angels falling? Is this a moment in time when we remember that event? Or Another option, is it a prophecy about a still yet future apostasy, a time when a third 
of those in the earth will fall under the spell of Satan when they will be swept aside by him. We don't know that for sure, but we know this. Either way, the victory of Jesus Christ has already won one. This, friends, means that I do my best work as a Christian and as one who walks with Christ when I stay close to God and his people. I saw a video this week that I can't bring to you, it's copyrighted, but I can't talk to you about it. Matt Karsten is a dentist here in the United States. For whatever reason, he decided he and his wife should go to Antarctica for their vacation. When I read this, I was like, who goes to Antarctica? I go someplace sunny and warm. I don't want to go someplace freezing cold. They went nonetheless. They went down there with a group of people, and they decided they would take a tour of the glaciers on these little Zodiac boats that seat six or eight. And so there were four or five of these boats, and they went out into the water, and they were riding around, and all of a sudden they noticed there were some orca whales, what we would call killer whales. They were swimming around, obviously out for a daily hunt. They thought that was interesting, and then they noticed something else. Off on the horizon, they saw another figure, a penguin, running for his ever-loving life. He was leaping out of the water to try to gain extra speed. He was literally right ahead of the orcas because they were thinking that looks like lunch. Let's get it and go. They watched as they circled and the penguin just running for his life. Then something extraordinary happened, and this is why I bring this to you. The penguin, desperate for a haven, he was too far from the shore. He'd wandered away from safety, and he was desperate for a haven. He took a bold and flying leap from the water and landed in one of those Zodiac boats. To the surprise of those who were seated already on the boat, they had not planned or expected to have a penguin guest. And yet here, in desperation, the penguin arrived. They rode with him for a little while. The orcas, frustrated by their search, the futility of it, they got to a place where they finally gave up and went on their way. When the boat had gotten closer to shore, the penguin waddled up onto the edge of the boat and jumped off and swam away. Never saw him again. I've thought about this all week, though. Imagine with me this. Imagine that boat had not been there. The story would have been very different, wouldn't it? Imagine the boat had not been there to provide that safe haven. Imagine the people throw the penguin out of the boat. Can I tell you today, my friends, when we recognize the danger that exists in the water around us, then finding safe haven with God and his people in the protection that he's already provided is the only way we can find safe haven from the attacks of the enemy. See, he's circling all around us. And many of us, like that penguin, believe we can outrun him. Nothing could be further from the truth, friends. You are not that fast. You are not that clever. But today... I want to give you good news. You don't have to be fast or clever. Just obedient. Just willing to let Jesus be who he wants to be in your life. 
Here's a couple of things I want you to take home. One, expect Satan to act with his evil character. Expect it and you won't be disappointed. When you anticipate that Satan wants to destroy you, then you can protect yourself with more wisdom. You can shelter yourself. You can provide safe haven and avenue to find that safety. This last one to take home is the one that I really want you to do. Stand firm in God's promise of Satan's certain defeat. It is no surprise, my friends, it is no surprise to Satan that Jesus has already won. But for many of us, we're surprised by it. We didn't know Jesus would win. Friends, read Revelation 19 if you don't do anything else today. There you'll see the great and awesome Jesus standing firmly and securely over all things. Praise the Lord that he has. When we see Jesus for who he really is and see Satan for who he really is, it won't be hard to decide which side to choose. It won't be hard to choose which side to belong to. Now let's move to the final element, the final exodus. This red dragon, he stands menacingly over the woman about to give birth in order that as soon as the child is born, he might devour it. If you want to see what that looks like, go back to Matthew chapter 2. Herod, king over the the area of Bethlehem, when he finds that the Messiah has been born, what does he do? He sends out orders to destroy every child to and under. This, this, friends, is where that in Revelation 12 took place. But his plans are thwarted by the birth of the child. Please notice on the screen, I've capitalized the child because this is not just any child. Now, all of us who are parents, we believe our child is special in every possible way. And we're right in our own context. But there is one child who deserves capitalization, and it's Jesus himself. Now, I know it's not Christmas. I know it's still July 31st, and I know that Christmas is still four months away. But I want you to see this for what it is. You see, in verse 4, Satan wanted to destroy God's work. He wanted to wipe it out. And yet, he couldn't. He was not able to. That's a consistent theme throughout Scripture. We see it in the Garden of Eden. Satan wanted to destroy God's work there. But God made a way. We see it in the Exodus, where Satan wanted to destroy God's people. But God made a way. We see it in the Judges, where we recognize that every man did what was right in his own eyes, but God made a way. We see it in the false prophets and the idols of Egypt and of Israel. If you're reading through the Bible with me, then you've just about finished Second Chronicles, and we see it over and over again there. 
but God made a way. We see it at the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas comes and betrays Jesus, but God made a way. Friends, this is the essence of chapter 12. God made a way. The exodus that he leads them on is away from where we had been and toward where we will be. The birth of the child changes everything. I brought a Christmas picture just because I love Christmas. And I can't stand not to show it to you. Reality is this, friends. Christmas is not reserved for December. The reality of Christ's coming means God made a way. And what is that way? It's his plan. And here's good news. The power of God's plan will succeed. It will succeed. I want you to see verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The power of planning. God had this in his heart from the beginning. This moment reflects that God, in his authority, in his strength, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, had already set things in motion. You know, when I think about planning, I think about a picture kind of like this one of a guy sitting at a table, drawing up plans, measuring. Sometimes he takes hours, days, weeks, months, even years to plan something carefully so that when the moment comes to take it from a drawing to reality, then he's ready. Can I tell you, my friends, God did the same thing. This child was a part of his plan all along. He knew the dragon would be there, and he prepared just right. Not just for the child, though, but for the woman. See it in verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she's to be nourished for 1,260 days. Here's one of the linchpins that links Revelation with the book of Daniel. When we see that phrase, 1,260 days, it links us back to Daniel 9 through 12, where we see Daniel's prophecy, which is still somewhat yet future. He talks about how there is a day yet ahead, and that time is coming. Friends, this day, 1,260 days, just about three and a half years, is a representative of God's mercy. He takes the woman Israel and reserves her for himself. The 1,260 days comes and goes, but I want you to notice something. It's 1,260 days, but it's only 1,260 days. Without God's mercy, without his kindness, it might have extended far beyond that. Today, friends, I want you to rejoice that now, this moment, is a time when we can see God and his plan at work that Satan, the snake, has already lost. You know, a few months ago, I was playing golf with a friend of mine out at Midland Country Club. We were out there playing golf, and we were on number six, if you know the, the course. So we were on number six, and off to the left side of the fairway, I saw these two road runners, and I couldn't see what they were doing, but I could see they were hammering the ground, and then they'd flap up a little, and then they'd move over it, and then they'd hammer the ground some more. And I turned to the friend that was playing with me, and I said, I think they've got a snake. 
I think those roadrunners are trying to either kill that snake to get him away from their nest or they're trying to run him off. And we watched as these roadrunners wore that snake smooth out, man. Praise the Lord they did. Anybody with me on that? When we saw him slither out where we could see him in the middle of the fairway, it was about a five-foot rattlesnake. And we watched as they just hammered him, man. They were just nailing him. And he was running for his life, literally, toward the underbrush on the other side of the fairway. He knew if he could get to the underbrush, he'd be okay. Or at least he'd get away from them. I've thought a lot about that particular thing because you know what? That snake didn't have any fight in him. He knew he was licked. There was nothing he could do to defend himself, so the best thing he could do was run. Can I tell you today, friends, this is the same for Satan himself. He knows he's licked. So why then does he continue to fight? Because many of us don't. We allow ourselves to believe things that are wrong. We sell our thoughts and our souls in wrong directions. And we begin to think that somehow God and Satan are equal forces and that if we just balance a little bit more towards God's side, we'll be, <coughs> we'll be okay. Not true. Don't believe it, friends. The grace and mercy of Christ has already won. Satan's defeat is certain. And here's what I want you to take home with you. One last thought. God's powerful purposes shall be completed. Perhaps, just maybe, you would say today, hey, I don't know a lot about Revelation. I don't know a lot about Jesus, but I do know something about winning. And maybe you're recognizing today that you'd, you'd be on the losing side if Jesus returned today. Remember the twofold purpose of Revelation. One is a word of warning to those outside of Christ, and the other is a word of encouragement to those in Christ. Which one of those is it for you? Here's what we want to do for you. At the conclusion of this service, I'm going to be standing right outside these doors, right over here, just outside in the Welcome Center. I'll be waiting for you. Maybe you need to talk to somebody and say, hey, Darren, I, I'm, I need to talk to somebody about Jesus. I can't go home the way I am. Today is your day. Maybe you're not in the building and you want to do the same. Pick up your phone and text the name Jesus to 3150092. Some of my staff is on the other end of that line right now. Text us and let us call you back. The Spirit of God is at work, friends. And he wants you, longs you to escape the trap that Satan has set and find your way instead to the glorious plan God has for your life. Let me pray for you. Today, Jesus, you have given us to hear from you. My prayer today, Lord, is that you would remind us you've already won. The victory is yours and rightfully so. Your supremacy is intact, your sovereignty is in full force, and you, Jesus, long to invite us to be with you.
It's easy, Lord, for us to be overwhelmed thinking about the size and power of the dragon and the authority that he seems to wield. But help us to remember, Lord Jesus, his expiration date is already marked. And so for those, Lord Jesus, under the sound of my voice that today would say, I need to invite Jesus into my life. I need to call on the name of the Lord to relieve me and, and, and forgive me. Then let them find their way, Lord, to the Welcome Center or to the text line that we might serve them well and lead them to truth in you. Do your work now, Lord Jesus, in us, among us, and through us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.